As you can see from the screen, we're looking at uh, Habakkuk today, and you'll find that on page 940. Just a short reading, but let's pray before uh, I start the reading that the Lord will speak to us in our own particular situations through these words of Habakkuk. Amen. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm slightly sleep deprived and it's been a long weekend uh, which is normally a recipe when you're doing uh, a sermon series on suffering uh, for one to cry at some point. It is likely that that will happen. Please excuse me if I do. Um, it is out of a love for you and uh, for those on my mind. But why don't I pray for us as we uh, uh, talk about this book. Uh, Lord, we praise you that you are a God who is not unrealistic about this world and suffering, and one who is intimately acquainted with injustice and violence, uh, relational breakdown, uh, the worst aspects of human nature and the brokenness of this world. You know it all, Lord. I praise you for our Lord Jesus who is so familiar with that, and we praise you, Lord, for your spirit now that can apply these words to our hearts. That you might strengthen us, Lord, uh, in order to uh, glorify you in our suffering. We pray that you would help us to do that, Lord. It's so hard. Uh, so help us, I pray. Amen. Well, uh, suffering makes us uh, cry, doesn't it? And there'll be many of you here. Uh, who have cried tears of anguish even in the last half an hour, uh, if not the last few days. Uh, isn't the world a wonderful place? But what a peculiar blend. Even yesterday, the marriage of Abigail uh, and John Mark, uh, Tasker, what a joyful and brilliant event. And yet, just as it's starting, um, a grandmother who was supposed to be at that had a fall and broke two ribs. Uh, and had to go to A&E and uh, you know a daughter had to miss the wedding uh, an aunt had to miss the wedding and sleep on the floor in A&E you know that sort of a picture isn't it of how wonderful the world is but also how broken it is uh, and how broken we are too we're thinking this morning about how God calls us to use our bodies to honour him that we're not our own that we belong to him and yet, what a mess we make of that. And you could feel in the morning, as we spoke about that, that there is a palpable feeling of people remembering things that they have done with their bodies and with others that they are deeply ashamed and guilty of, feel guilty about. It's not just out there, it's in here as well, the suffering. And uh, it is awful. 
Uh, suffering makes us shrink back. It drives us into isolation. It makes us feel small. It puts us in that dark and confused place where we feel trapped. Uh, sometimes it is just seemingly without end. <laughs> and the world is very confused about how to deal with suffering, especially in the West. In fact, the West is notably lacking in resilience of any form when it comes to handling suffering. We are enormously ill-equipped. It's the buzzword amongst all our schools now, resilience. It's something that other, other uh, second and third world countries often remark upon, that actually we're so bad at dealing with suffering. We see the proliferation of mental health issues uh, across our society. Um, it's, uh, and that just only, only reinforces, doesn't it, I think, if, we're, if, we, if that's the culture we're swimming in, to feel like, well, I've got nothing for this. What do I do? How do I handle this? I think God is in control. I think he's given me this, but I don't know what to do with it. So why are we listening to Habakkuk here? Well, because it's God's word, and it's about how to respond to suffering by God for us. We want to see what God's got to say about this issue tonight. Um, Habakkuk uh, is a prophet writing uh, in the last quarter of the 7th century before Jesus turned up. Uh, and at that time, uh, a people called the Chaldeans, or Chaldeans if you're into that, uh, are growing in power. Another sort of big empire that's going to become the Babylonians who are going to turn up and wipe out God's people. There's a dark storm cloud on the horizon. And Habakkuk, as he writes, as you'll see in a minute, is confronted by a people of God who actually are a total mess. Their sin is all over the place and there is suffering and violence all about him. And what we see is, is Habakkuk bring this suffering uh, in dialogue with God. And we're going to see the back and forth over the next few weeks. Habakkuk to God, God to Habakkuk, Habakkuk to God, God to Habakkuk. And then uh, we land with Habakkuk uh, in the last, this is the shortest one that we're going to do. And Habakkuk treads the line of unbelieving and cursing God and, uh, and wanting to die. Uh, and this honest and open challenge uh, resolved into trust. He treads that line just right for us. He is someone who is witnessing and experiencing suffering and he shows us a better way to live as he learns to wait on the Lord and his promises to do something more and something final. And this is a book that actually is relied upon in Hebrews 10, where in Hebrews 10 we read that actually they have trials and persecutions of all kinds. And in that context of suffering, uh, the author of Hebrews leaves on Habakkuk to say, in, in Hebrews 10.39 but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved and so that's our aim as we come here with our suffering both produced by ourselves and from out there is that we would be a people who are fortified to not shrink back but to have faith and to be saved and to see that in Christ's resurrection uh, that guarantees a final judgment uh, and that also guarantees a final victory over, suffering, victory over suffering. That's where we want to land. But for today, what are we going to see? We're going to see Habakkuk demanding answers. 
I think that's going to be helpful for us, that we should demand answers of God. And also that we would, like Habakkuk, help others to lament, to be able to do that. And maybe our suffering might have a role in that. We're going to see, actually, here, Habakkuk is feeling the suffering. That's a good thing. That he is longing for better. That is a right thing. And that he is expecting a solution that is absolutely vital. Let me show you that to start with. So here he is, feeling the suffering. Can you hear the tone here of this prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received? How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? As a, as a, as a posh Englishman, it makes me pucker up inside. It's not the kind of tone that I would use anywhere, let alone with God. But can you hear the tone of the questions? He's desperate. It's awful. He's feeling it. Can you feel the force of his address to God? You do not listen. You do not save. You tolerate this. It seems almost a bit much, doesn't it? Do you feel a bit uncomfortable as you hear him doing that? Do you also hear the powerlessness, which many of us will know, that feeling of helplessness? You do not listen. You do not save. My prayers just bounce off the ceiling. Nothing seems to change, Lord. And can you hear his isolation? He's on his own. Destruction and violence are before me. Here's a whole lot of people all doing dreadful things and God's people doing it. Strife and conflict abounds. And I'm the only one that's calling out to you about this seemingly. Destruction and violence are really his only company. I don't know, have you ever had that, um, that experience where you see an advert for an appeal in somewhere where they're experiencing famine and it's a small child and it's, it's just hard to look at. Do you know what I mean? And when it comes up on your screen, you just long for it to go. Or you long to swipe it away. That's what he's feeling as he looks at this suffering and as he experiences it. God's people here are perpetrating violence, verse 2. Injustice, destruction, verse 3, conflict. He's feeling that so much. And so we're not surprised by suffering in the church because evil is alive and kicking. In fact, it's the heartbeat of an unrepentant church, isn't it? Because all this comes from our hearts, according to Mark 7, to Jesus. But neither do we not feel it, either by looking away or by becoming desensitized to it, or by moving quickly on to the hope of the gospel. We take it to the Lord and we feel it. Why, Lord, does this spiritual abuse happen in your church? It is awful. Why, Lord, do I see this in my life? Why, Lord, are you doing this thing? If you're that person who is suffering, it is right to feel the pain and the anguish of it. That's what we do as Christians. It is not Buddhism 
Buddhism tells you that your suffering is an illusion and what you need to do is get out of your created creaturely self and just have your soul on its own. I don't know how anyone who's experienced really proper suffering can go with Buddhism. We are not a people of a stiff upper lip. We are a people of a wobbly bottom lip. And we know that because Psalm 22 that we started with, quoted by Jesus himself, cries out to his Lord and his Father, doesn't he, when he says, "How long? why have you forsaken me? He feels it, doesn't he? Brothers and sisters, the first thing with suffering is that we should feel it. It's okay to feel it, and it's right to feel it. And we should feel it with God and encourage one another to feel it with God. Do you see that? The next thing that we see here is that Habakkuk is clearly longing for better. He longs for better, and that is a great thing. We've already felt the sort of tone of longing to be heard uh, that there would be, what's he longing for? There's violence, and he wants rescue from it. There, there's injustice, and he wants to see justice. The law is paralyzed. The justice never prevails. Come on, God, what are you doing? He wants to see unity in the people of God. Look, there's conflict abounding, end of verse 3, and strife. He's longing for good people to triumph over evil people. Do you see that at the end of verse 4? The wicked hem in the righteous, so the justice is perverted. This is all wrong. It shouldn't be like this. Bad things should not happen to good people. He's longing for better. And that's a good thing. And it only makes sense with God. It only makes sense to long for better with God in the picture. It's good to long for better. So Christians are not people who are cynical and give up, and nor do we throw ourselves into the evil because everyone else is, and better be the victor than the victim. But we long for better, and that better only makes sense with God. If you believe that there is no God, and evolution is how our species has come about, then rescue from violence and destruction doesn't make sense. The Spartans used to expose their children who were weak and feeble and who were born deformed in some way. They gave them over to violence and destruction because that doesn't improve the strength of the tribe. That's living consistently with the idea of natural selection, isn't it? To long for better isn't right there. You just you allow the violence to happen. It's only where each person has a unique value through being created by God in his image does it make sense to call for rescue uh, from uh, violence and destruction, to long for that. So the presence of God makes sense of our longing for better. Similarly with justice, if you believe what is right and wrong is determined by what most people think is right, then the imposition of that moral framework is the oppression of those who disagree. It will always be a group of humans enforcing what they think is right over another group of humans, and they will be oppressed. It is only with a non-human uh, God of perfect love and wisdom determining what is right and wrong above all humanity where we can have a true justice which is not one humanity oppressing another. And so with God in the picture, we can long for his justice. Do you see that? 
So if you're experiencing injustice and violence and persecution, if you're experiencing suffering, having God in the picture makes sense of our longing for more, longing for better. And so we take our longing for better to him because that's where it makes sense. The presence of a good, perfect God of blessing means it's right to long for better, a place which is like him that is good and perfect and a full of uh, blessing. So in suffering, we don't despair for longing for good, and nor do we become hardened and cynical that it is foolish to long for better. Christians are dreamers and longers, longers, people who long for better. Grief is just that, isn't it? It's longing for better. It's longing for what we've lost, isn't it? Grief over suffering, grief over sin, which has caused all our suffering and perhaps some in others, grief over death, uh, grief uh, about the people of God, as with Habakkuk here. And isn't it wonderful that what we see Jesus do at the tomb of Lazarus is Jesus is greatly moved when he sees this death, he's troubled in his spirit, and he wept for the awfulness of death. He longed for better. That's what we want to do. And he longed for it so hard that he gave his life for the sin that causes death so that we would have better. So part of this is recovering the art of lament, that we go to God and we lament what is bad and we feel it and we lament the loss of good and the fact the absence of good. We take that to God and say, oh, this is just, it feels terrible. Please, can we have better? But also, notice at what's happening here is Habakkuk totally expects a solution. He expects a fix, and he expects the fix to come from God. Who does Habakkuk assume should and could fix the sin-induced awfulness of suffering around him? It's God. That's why he's dealing with God. He's not pleading with the people to be better. You guys just sort yourselves out. We can solve poverty if you just sort it out. He's not pleading with them. That's because the law is paralyzed. People are unable to do anything because of their sin. They are utterly inactive and helpless. That is what's going to happen in our culture. Suffering will not go away. Well done, Prince William, for saying he's going to end homelessness. But he won't because it's a product of human sin. And there's only one person who can sort that out. And that is who Habakkuk is calling to. He's not trying to remonstrate with himself to do something. Come on, Habakkuk, you can do this. We'll just get in there and we'll sort all this mess out and make all the suffering go away. He's calling for help because Habakkuk knows he is powerless to overcome this wickedness and suffering that is around him. Other people can really help you in your suffering. You can help yourself in your suffering. But ultimately, there is only one source of a solution, and that is the Lord. The Lord. How long, Lord? Capital L-O-R-D. That is the creator of the universe, the one who knows all things, the beginning and the end, who has no limits and is unimprovable in his goodness and power. The mighty God, creator, terrifying presence of holiness, unimprovable in goodness who dismisses superpowers like Egypt with a flick of his hand, 
to rescue his people, who crushes armies with, the pre- with just his presence to give his people the victory, before whom mountains melt and the sea retreats. It's right to expect a solution to suffering, but it only makes sense that it's going to happen with a loving, mighty God like that. Because no one else has managed to end suffering so far, have they? It's not like, we've been, it's not like humans haven't been trying to do that for 8,000 years or whatever it is. Here is the person. If you believe in blind fate or chance, orchestrates all events, uh, you know, it's just bad luck that this has happened to you, uh, then it would take the end of that very existence for suffering to stop. It would take the end of chance for suffering to stop. Do you see that? If you want to stop rolling ones on your board game when you're a child, what you have to do is stop rolling the dice, don't you? It just has to stop. Which means all existence would stop. You have to get rid of chance altogether. Otherwise, you're going to keep being dealt rubbish cards. And if that's the case, there's no hope for solution because you've just got to wise up and take the rough with the smooth, is what we say, isn't it? It's naive to hope for an end to suffering. But with a person who is in control of all things and mighty to save, who has both the power and the desire to end all suffering, as we see when he dies on the cross, then it is right to expect a solution and call for it and long for it as we were singing in that song, Come Lord Jesus. It's even more right for us to expect a solution to the sin-caused suffering because God, than Habakkuk because God has already started it. He has already started that rescue solution. It's in motion. Jesus and the cross and his resurrection shows that the solution has started in God's kingdom. That's where the solution is going to come from. And we see that trust in Habakkuk's opening question, don't we? It's so interesting that he starts not with why. I often think why. Why, Lord, is this happening? But he starts with how long. I know this is going to finish, but how long have I got to wait? Do you see that? Isn't that brilliant? He doesn't start with why. He starts with knowing that the answer is staring him in the face. The sin of God's people causing terrible suffering, and more generally the sin of mankind means this world is broken, uh, and it blends the great with the good. And his question is, God, how long are you going to let this go? I I know the end of it is coming, but how long? he's looking forward to the promises of God that he's been making for thousands of years to make a people in his place under his rule living in total blessing with all evil vanquished. That's a promise that he started to fulfill in Christ. And so it's right for Christians to long for a solution to suffering and to say how long and to be over emotional about that to be able to say to one another I've had enough of this I want it to end When will the good times come? And it's right for us to say to one another, the answer which we get given all the way through the Bible, which is not forever. How long? The answer is never a precise answer, but not forever. And so it's right for us to say, come Lord, please, and sort this out. We're not cynical about suffering, nor do we despair, but we wait expectantly. Every form of suffering has a sell-by date on it. 
and it is running out quickly. That is an enormous comfort. It is still painful, but it helps, doesn't it, that we know the question we ask is how long? And the answer is, not forever. I'm already winding everything up in Christ. When my kids are suffering, when they bang their knee, or when they're sick, or when they just don't understand why they hurt, they come in real pain and really upset, and they plead with me as a parent, and say, it's awful, make it go away. And I can't make it go away. I can't make it be better. But what I can say is, hang in there, I've got you, it's not forever. It'll probably feel better in about 30 seconds, or two days, um, and I'm looking forward to them telling me that when it's, it'll be better in you know, a year when I get to be with the Lord in glory. Listen, I'm aware that I stand here speaking of suffering, and it's been my great privilege to walk with people who have been shot in the face uh, for their faith, people who have been raped, people who have seen five of their children come down with chronic illnesses. Uh, it's been a privilege to get to know some of you here with your suffering. And I want you to know that you have freedom in Christ and you're called upon by God to feel the pain of that and to long for better and to expect it to come and to share that with one another. You can be a great blessing like Habakkuk or Job, a walking and talking and living testimony that God, that Jesus is worth it and that I can wait, whatever it is. But we need to be open about that suffering, like Habakkuk is, if we're going to help one another to lament, and if we're going to help one another to do this trusting in God. Should we pray that we do that? Let's pray. Lord God, there is uh, much in your world which is wonderful and beautiful, and you are a good and gracious God. Uh, you are good all the time. And Lord, often we don't understand why you have given us whatever the suffering is that we have. Lord, often we don't understand why we've contributed to it by our own sin. Lord, we don't know what you're doing. But Lord, we trust that you are the God who can provide the solution and you already have in Jesus. So great is your love for us. And so help us to trust you as that mighty God with the love and the desire to bring all suffering to an end, to wait on you, to keep calling out how long, and to encourage one another to do that, that we might be trusting in you to bring these things to an end. Lord, we cry out to you for your help. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be a blessing with our suffering to others, to help them understand, Lord, that suffering is real and it hurts. It's right to long for better. And Lord, only the solution, only you, Lord, can provide the solution in Christ. Help us, Lord, with that, I pray. Strengthen us that we might not be those who shrink back, but Lord, be those who stand in faith. Amen.